All right. Uh, welcome to Have You Seen? <laughs> and yes, Mia Amici, that was an ellipsis. I'm your host, Lee, and this week we are talking about A Bigger Splash, which is absolutely one of my favorite movies of the past decade, and oh. without question, one of the best-dressed movies of all time. Mm-hmm. My guest today is Ali Bass. Hello. Ali is an aesthetic genius, and she's my go-to <laughs> for all things fashion, art, and general eleganza. Uh, I never go shopping without her. In fact, oh. our text histories, uh, it's probably like... Shopping stuff. Oh, yeah. 40% of me sending links to clothes I'm thinking of buying, 40% us reviewing a recent celebrity look, and then the other 20% is talking about serial killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just feel like we have a Venn diagram of all the important <laughs> things in life in common. Our intersections of killers, Tex-Mex. fashion, killer killers. fashion. Tex-Mex, yeah. yeah. In addition to A Bigger Splash, we are talking about our favorite looks in movies. Now, I want to be clear. We're not talking costume design. We're not talking an overall aesthetic. We are talking about character A walks into the room wearing XYZ. That is the look. That is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, a look that and, just makes you scream. Yes. A look that makes you think, I want it, but I also couldn't pull it off. But I also have to figure out how to pull it off. And more importantly, I have to figure out how to get it. Correct. Maybe we need that Liz Lemon button that she talks about where you can buy anything on screen. Like I know. Miranda spaghetti or whatever it is she says. <laughs> yes. If it's a Liz-ism, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. want it in my life. Speaking of Liz, my first one, and I bet it's your first one too, is uh, played or is worn by Kira Knightley, but not when she played <laughs> Elizabeth Bennet. No, it's not. I have it on mine too. Yes, number one, and in fact, the the second most written in from viewers, thank you, or from mm-hmm. listeners, thank you, listeners, for your listener mail this week. Absolutely, it's the green dress from Atonement. <sighs> it's just. Be it's so unreal. It's mm-hmm. beyond the it, color, uh, the ugh. cut. Like I feel like only in this movie, this fabric looks so sumptuous. But I feel like if you tried to recreate this in real life, it would look horrendous. The texture of it really is remarkable. And what's so unique about it is that she wears it in multiple successive scenes in different mm-hmm. settings within this house that are all yeah. completely different moods and moments and they all look equally fantastic like first she wears it to dinner and mm-hmm. it looks gorgeous and like the classic Downton Abbey lighting and framing of her sitting at the table then it's also extremely bare for dinner yes you know, it is very like racy daring the back is yeah. completely out when you there's mm-hmm. a shot of her like leaning against a desk and like it's just so it's like makes you gasp almost because there's no back yeah and it's in 1938 and it's just insane that she's pulling this off and that no one is freaking out is it even earlier than that oh you're right it is because he's robbie's in jail for several years before no it's i thought it was world war ii i'm looking it up i just want to know (laughs) Oh, you're right. Beginning in the 1930s. Okay. okay. But yeah, he's, it's definitely somewhere mid-1930s because then he's in jail and then he goes to war. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. But she wears it to dinner and then there's the... And this is such a touchstone moment for erotic cinema for me. But <laughs> yeah. the, the, the love scene in the library. 
Yeah. And it's barely lit from above, and there's this gorgeous sheen to it as it's spread out against the bookcase. And then she's smoking the cigarette on the patio in the dark yeah. while everyone's looking for uh, Bryony's cousin. Mm-hmm. And it looks equally beautiful in these three completely different lighting setups. And mm-hmm. you would think that a dress like that would have to be really pre preset, you know, pre-styled. You can mm-hmm. only move in a certain dimension or it'll look really bad, but it just looks incredible in every angle. Yeah, that's the thing. You, she can live in it and move in it and act in it, and it 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 just translates beautifully into all of these different settings. It's actually quite a long time she's in the stress. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a one, one shot, one scene. She's yeah, in it's it a for good, a while. It's a good 20 minutes of the movie, at least. And I just want to say justice for green dresses because mm-hmm. green never sells well on magazine covers and they almost always try to avoid it at all costs. But I just want to say justice for green. It can be so striking and just lovely. And this is just such a symbol of how everything is going so well and like young love at the beginning. And then it mm-hmm. all gets turned into a garbage fire. Yeah. That gets thrown off a cliff. Especially with the amount of green in that movie in the front half, mm-hmm. and then yeah. there's no green at all after that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just all gray and bleak. All brown, and, yeah. Yeah. What's <sighs> another, another look that one. you have? Okay. Another one that I have. I want to see if I can send it to you in the chat. Please hold. Holding. Um, it's uploading now. Is from Rear Window. It is Grace Kelly's character. First of all, the guy in the movie is the worst. <laughs> he really no, is. He pays no attention to Grace Kelly, who is literally the most beautiful creature that has ever walked the earth in the mm-hmm. most unreal outfits, day after day after day. And she brings him dinner and does this whole thing for him. Anyway, he's the worst. But she's gonna. St- she just decided to stay over for the first time, and so she pulls out her Mark Cross case this pink nightgown and just gives like a little teaser of it and then in the later scene comes out and it's floor length there's matching slippers and just the way that this moves Mm. is just sublime yeah i didn't even think about this but i'm really glad that you brought it because that is such a stunning movie visually in every way and the way that she behaves in that movie is really interesting right like she's escalating her behavior to make him notice her to pull his gaze from out of the window to what's in the apartment yeah um which is obviously a metaphor for their relationship yada 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 but man she just looks incredible in every frame of it she's like a doll in the way that she is posed and looks i know she's just so put together and there's this other outfit she's wearing a green suit and with pearls mm-hmm. just like a nice little white top but then she takes the jacket off and the back is out of this top it's a halter and it's also just like <gasps> like just <laughs> such a like <laughs> delightful surprise and he of course he pays no attention to it and i hate him so much yeah he's uh he's kind of the worst i'm not a big uh, jimmy stewart guy no me either i don't i don't see the appeal of jimmy stewart nor this character and justice for Grace Kelly in this movie because she deserves better. Uh, speaking of people who deserve better, I have a uh, equal love for my in my heart, not just for Grace Kelly, but for another star of the golden age, and that's Ingrid Bergman. And her Ooh. look in Casablanca, uh, I know it's kind of an obvious choice, but 
the she fedora that she wears i don't know what else to call it the arc of that <laughs> hat and the way it's folded and um yeah. and then just the elegance of it pairing with the uh with the suit is just mm -hmm. beautiful she looks so beautiful in that movie especially at the end um when she's on the the tarmac mm -hmm. yeah that's such a great look a great hat in cinema history she yeah, fedoras in general are a big weakness of mine uh because mm -hmm. there's also faye dunaway in chinatown oh of course and she's that's playing such a simultaneously glamorous and kind of horrifying character yeah and um yeah just like her her look is is really striking mm -hmm. i love it um let's see another one of mine this is a more recent one and you may want to debate me on this but i thought margot robbie's um black and white outfit in once upon a time in hollywood as sharon tate with the white go-go boots this white mini skirt and this black top it was just perfectly put together for me mm -hmm. just, i kid i kid you not i almost had that in there but i thought it was too recent it's so recent but it's just it's so simple and just it's both of the time and fun her natural beauty come through like her hair looks so beautiful mm -hmm. like her skin is like so tan and beautiful and then she puts on those glasses in the movie theater which are so great yep i just love this look it's just just a simple and effective and just lovely outfit that i would like to wear in my real life yeah, I think for someone who's so known for shock and violence, Tarantino yeah. really has stellar costume design in all of his movies. Oh, I mean, yeah. The black suits in Pulp Fiction are one of the main mm -hmm. reasons that that movie is so iconic, is that mm -hmm. they're so incongruous with the stuff around them, right? Yeah. Uh, Django Unchained, the, the significance of clothes in that movie is very great, because that's one of the first symbols of freedom that Django has, is buying his own clothes. And then he gets that great green winter coat that's almost like double-breasted and it's got the sharp angle and i'm sending you i had a different tarantino on my list uh it won't let me send it still won't let me send it uh let me copy the link but it's lucy Liu as oren ishii in kill bill volume one uh it's the stunning white on white kimono with this great design um, and she's got a little flower in her hair. She's got her hair in a very traditional Japanese Ooh, bun. Uh, yes. Yeah. And the, the kimono has this really slight texture to it mm -hmm. that you can't see until you get really close in when, you know, they're in this horrific battle to the death at the end of the movie. Um, I think this look is just so iconic for me of everyone. She makes everyone else around her, by the way, also dress in black. So she stands out even more. Oh, I love um, and she's, she's paired of course, against an equally iconic costume in uh, Uma Thurman's yellow and black mm -hmm. motorcycle tracksuit thing. And man, it's just such a great look. This kimono, it's not like a light slinky kimono. This is like got some weight to it and it's, yeah beautiful i love her the styling of her hair in this too mm -hmm. uh, simple chic eleganza <laughs> uh one of the most written in ones in addition to the green dress from atonement was carol which of course i'm very happy mm -hmm. to yes, to see yes, that yes. love and to talk about carol anytime um 
especially Kate Blanchett's coat and the red hat that she pairs it with. She has this gorgeous yeah. fur coat that's just a little bit not deteriorated, but it's a little bit past its prime. You can tell it's she's warm. been wearing it. Yeah, she's yeah. been wearing it for a few years. I just, I, I haven't seen Carol. I know it's okay. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's born seeing everything. Uh, you should definitely make it a priority. But I do love the look of this movie, and I love yeah. like her red nails and the gold jewelry. Mm-hmm. The uh, other one that was really popular was different dresses of Kate Winslet's in Titanic, oh, which I found interesting, interesting because I, I don't, that. yeah, and I don't find much of the fashion in Titanic very striking. No, me either. I think it's maybe... well constructed, but it's not interesting to me. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Maybe the, the blue dress with the, like, kind of the sparkling insets in it, but even then, I, it's, I don't know. It's not what sticks out in that movie to me. Maybe people just really love Titanic and it makes them think that the costumes are like really spectacular. Yeah. I mean, you hey, know, Lord knows I do. I do that with stuff. You know, it happens. <laughs> I understand the Titanic love. Uh, another just really iconic dress for me, and I love that we've we've taken it in this almost red carpety direction, a red mm-hmm. carpet of characters. Uh, Ava Green in Casino Royale. <gasps> I was thinking about that. When she rolls out in that midnight blue, incredibly <laughs> low cut, yet somehow so high class dress. I know. Oh and the gorgeous God. eye makeup and the huge necklace. And it's, I mean, it, she is such a striking woman, but she's not conventionally featured, you know? Yeah. And think... yet she's, she's just jaw-droppingly beautiful. Pretty much every scene in that movie, but that entrance into the poker game is really just phenomenal is that the dress that they she sits down in the shower in yes i love that scene yeah that's that is a really great movie walk in in that dress and just ruin it basically another great costume for me i think is just and i it just becomes synonymous with this character is margot tenenbaum's (laughs) that's on my list too (laughs) i mean it's just so quirky and like funny and weird with the the polo and the gloves and the birkin and and the hair clips and the fur coat it's just i mean what other word besides iconic Mm -hmm. the hair clips in particular stand out so much because that is such a character who's from birth been trying to act older than she is yeah and yet that's like a thing of childhood that she can't leave behind almost like it it probably made her look older when she was 12 and she won her first pulitzer or whatever it is for her play (laughs) but uh but she just can't seem to give them up and then you pair all of that with the uh constant chain smoking and the wooden finger yeah and it is one of the most iconic character looks ever for me yeah completely it's just so, it's very unique. The costume design, and I know I said we weren't going to talk about this, but hang on. The costume design in Royal Tenenbaums across the board is a yeah. lot of really bizarre stuff that shouldn't work but does. Especially yeah. because every character wears pretty much the same thing every scene in a way well, that shouldn't work. Right, everybody has like the one outfit that yeah. kind of is their thing, like the, the red tracksuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The red tracksuit was written in by several people as well, which as that that is by yeah. far my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie. So I love any time yeah. that movie gets love. 
And then there's there's like the really weird look in that movie of um, Owen Wilson in the cowboy hat and the fringe. Mm -hmm. And it's so bizarre and it's so clearly tacked on and an affectation. Mm -hmm. But that makes the character so much more endearing. Yeah. 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 It works for that character completely. Um, Let's see. Yeah. I think those are my top choices. There are just so many good ones. Yeah. That I think we're going to just have to do a part two at some point. I think we will too. I have. If you ever end up inviting me back. Uh, Not if, when. (laughs) Well, of course, we're going to have to be doing red carpet reviews if we have red carpets during this award season. Lord, <laughs> Lord only knows what it's going to look like. God willing. Uh, uh, there's a couple more I have to have to just do quick okay, bullet points yeah. on. Uh, Elio's various looks in Call Me By Your Name, especially considering we're talking about a different movie from the same director today, but yeah. especially the talking head sweater. Yeah, that's a good like, one. Like, that is... If I could have found a talking head sweater in a thrift store in the 90s or 2000s, that is absolutely what I would have been wearing, you know, in an Italian summer. Uh, Everything Julia, he wears is so endearing. Yes, and it, it really fits him, too, because you can tell it's like polos that he's been given by his parents that he wears, but he makes them his own, yeah. and he pairs them well with stuff. The way he dresses himself is very interesting. Yeah, it's clearly like a sophisticated kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the coat that Ryan Gosling wears in Blade Runner 2049, which is oh. a bizarre sentence, but it is a really high fashion look. Okay. And that's just a very high fashion movie in a, in a movie that didn't need to be, but really goes above and beyond with the looks. But his, okay. his coat in particular is really gorgeous. Uh, I have parentheses, the peak of tomboy chic with Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise. Mm, yes. That white tank, that white camisole, and the kerchief around her neck, and the mm-hmm. the Daisy Dukes, and then similarly, Laura Dern in Jurassic Park, which is a very mm-hmm. similar outfit in a movie just a year later. I just feel like that's just the ni- like a very common '90s look, mm-hmm. if you will. Like, uh, yeah. I wore so many denim mm-hmm. shorts, and yeah, and de- denim denim being used in a way that is simultaneously aesthetically appealing but also feels practical and comfortable for a character functional if you're running around with dinosaurs the other most popular written in one was julia roberts's various looks in pretty woman the two biggest Mm. ones were the brown and white spotted dress that she wears to the polo match Mm -hmm. and then my personal favorite the over the top in case you didn't already believe this character is a prostitute (laughs) outfit that she wears when she goes shopping that is like it's like uh if I recall correctly, it's like a caricature-ish it's a, yeah. almost. It's a mini, it's a black mini skirt, and then it's a, it's like a top with a very minimal fabric <laughs> covering her uh, essential bits, with mm-hmm. like a, a metal ring in the center that connects yeah, everything together. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad, but it's so good. <laughs> and of course, her body looks incredible. Her hair is gorgeous in mm-hmm. every frame of that movie, except for mm-hmm. when she wears the wig. <laughs> and my last one, I promise. Yeah. Okay. Nicholas Holt's fluffy sweater in a single <gasps> yeah. I forgot about that, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, all of the looks in that movie are just so perfectly executed. The proportions, the, the fit. Yeah, listeners, if you haven't seen A Single Man, which is Tom Ford's directorial debut, you got to uh, do it. It is one of the most beautifully composed movies ever made. Every <gasps> frame of it looks like a David Hockney or uh, 
Edward Hopper painting. Like that it, scene of Julianne Moore putting on her eye makeup, mm-hmm. this crazy eye makeup. <gasps> yep. It haunts me. I love that that character spends an entire day getting ready just to have someone that she already knows over to her house. <laughs> and it literally takes her a full day to put on one dress, to do her hair, and to put on eye makeup. Yeah, well. I mean, I, mean, I get it. I it's relate, it's, it's but... hard work. <laughs> but of all of all the great looks in that movie, Nicholas Holt has this incredibly endearing fuzzy sweater that he wears. And yeah. it's, uh, oh man, it's a great look. Wow, what a great choice, Lee. Mm-hmm. That's that may be my ultimate of the whole list, besides of course the green dress, which was that was as soon as the neurons fired in my brain of best looks that it took less yeah. than a second for that to come to the top. Yeah. I agree. It's just I mean beyond. I mentioned Call Me by Your Name, which was directed by the absolute genius Luca Guadagnino. Mm-hmm. And he directed our main feature for today, a bigger splash. Ali, do you mind giving us just kind of a a synopsis of what this admittedly very complex movie is about. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but mm-hmm. essentially it begins with the greatest cinematic premise of all time, which is Tilda Swinton as a rock star, kind of a Bowie-ish androgynous rock and roller, and she's recovering from vocal surgery on this just dry and extremely alien looking um, Italian island in the summer with her boyfriend of six years when they get an unexpected visitor. Um, His name is Harry, played by Ray Fiennes, and his newly discovered uh, grown daughter, played by, um, I've lost it. Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And lots of different sort of triangles and quadrangles emerge and tensions rise and uh, hijinks ensue. And everything is beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. Costumes are stunning. The scenery, stunning. It's just I mean, amazingly done. Yeah, I love that you described the landscape as alien because mm-hmm. one of the things that I I remembered... Okay, so this movie came out in 2015. I saw mm-hmm. it in theaters, hadn't seen it since, and then I watched it this week in preparation. Yeah, same. Um, and I remembered it being a lot lusher and more decadent than it was, the landscape specifically, I mean. But it really isn't at all. It's very arid. It's very mountainous. Yeah. I mean, it's a volcanic island. Mm-hmm. It's... And Lots of uh, browns. It's dry as a bone. Like, what an interesting choice for setting, I think. Right, because you would think, oh, you would want to set this in something that looks like Santorini or the uh, Cyclades or something like that. Like something really, uh, again, to use this word, decadent and very hospitable. Right. But you can tell instantly that Marianne has picked this place. Marianne is Tilda Swinton's character, which this Mm -hmm. is such a great rocker name, Marianne Lane. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's <laughs> so good. You can tell that she's picked this place because she's not going to run into anybody vacationing there. You exactly. Know, it's it's going to be a place. Only. Yeah, it's going to be a place that she and her partner uh, can can just relax. Isn't the right word? Recover really is the only word. Yeah, and just sort of hide out from the world and be low key, which honestly sounds great. Yeah, uh, especially right now, I would love to. I would pay I a lot of money either. to have a villa 
with just a couple of friends. So Luca Guadagnino, again, he directed uh, Call Me By Your Name. He also directed I Am Love. And most people have only seen Call Me By Your Name of his films, and it is a great movie. Uh, it is also the least brilliant of his movies. And that says a lot because of how good that movie is. I love that movie. Like, yeah, I'm I love it too. I'm a huge a fan. Thank you um, about it. <laughs> uh, so quick side story about Call Me By Your Name. Was it you, Allie, who told me about the time you were doing yoga and Mystery of Love, or no, Visions of Gideon was the yes. cool down song? Yes, and I was completely triggered mm-hmm. and nearly began to weep uncontrollably. Yeah, I would have just shavasana. sobbed through my shavasana. Exactly. I mean, oh, that, that movie. We'll have to talk about that sometime. I can't yes. even really talk about it. I just, I love it so much. In fairness, though, Luca Guadagnino <sighs> makes movies for us. I know. <laughs> between the, between the, the music that he chooses, which is always great, the, the casting that he does. The casting like, is fabulous. Yeah, he, he's made two movies with Tilda. He's made, uh, he's now made movies with Ray Fiennes, with uh, Armand Dakota. Tamer, Dakota mm-hmm. Johnson, like... Uh, I'm not and a I fan told of my hers, mom, but... I'm not either, but when I told yeah. my mom that we were doing this movie this week, she's like, of course you are, because he <laughs> makes movies for us, the two of us specifically. Yes, yes. We are <sighs> hashtag target audience. Exactly. Uh, I want to read a quote that I found. I was doing a little bit of research on the critical reception, which was mm-hmm. mostly warm. It, it It's holding at a 79 on Metacritic, which I'll take. Uh, okay. It should be higher, but, but... I don't know why this movie wasn't more of a if not a box office success, then critical darling, because I just think it's perfect. It really is. Like it is, it is a perfectly paced. If I had to put it in a genre, Mm -hmm. I would say, bear with me, audience, 70s style European erotic thriller, right? Right. Well, it's based on La Piscine, which is exactly that. And it's, it's so sexy. It's so intense it's really mm-hmm. funny at times yeah very like um, psychological yeah and it's a kind of movie that just isn't made anymore and i think that's why i like it so much because it has mm-hmm. it has stuck out and is completely unique in the really great decade of film that has been the 2010s like mm-hmm. i never saw a movie that remotely approached being like this movie mm-hmm. i uh, agree but Peter Travers in his review, which was really positive, said, everything in this movie is so ripe and voluptuous that watching it mm-hmm. doesn't seem enough. You want to take a bite out of it. Mm, yeah. And I think, I think that that is really, uh, really spot on. I mean, I just Completely. think that it's, again, movies that deal a lot with romance and sex can end up being, you know, they're almost overdoing it or they're a little off-putting. Yeah, and this you, movie, almost, you don't really see very, every, a lot yeah. of things are implied. Mm-hmm. Um, or sort of tensions are going on between people and you just can sort of sense it in a group setting or something like that. It's not like in your face. Yeah, I love that sex is just another, it's another element of communication between these characters, just like the conversation you would have at dinner, the thing you would choose to sing at karaoke uh, <laughs> all of these, which is such a great scene. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, I um, also want to say a, a brief little trivia thing. I think you know this, but I want to make sure our listeners know this. Yeah. We mentioned that Tilda, her character can't speak in this movie. I don't know if um, I mentioned it. That's kind of the key thing. Oh but. yeah. So she's recording, she's recovering from vocal surgery and she can't speak because of that recovery. Mm-hmm. Apparently Tilda Swinton came up with that herself. Okay. Luca, I thought this was the case. I didn't know if this yeah. was like an apocryphal thing. 
but I'm sure it is, but I choose to believe it because Tilda Swinton is a genius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so apparently Luca Guadagnino wrote this for her and brought it to her and she said, This is really great, but wouldn't it be better if like I couldn't speak? And he <laughs> said, Well, that? why why couldn't you speak? And she goes, I don't know, figure it out, but it seems like it'd be a great idea. And Okay, okay. Yeah. One that's so insane. Like mm -hmm. I love that so much. Like what actor like relinquishes their voice, which is like half at least half of their instrument, you know, to do oh, a yeah. film. That, I mean, who thinks of that? She's insane. I love that. Also, I love that Luca was like, yes, of course. I love yeah. that they had the kind of relationship where they were, she, he was like, yeah, makes total sense to me. Love it. Do it. Yeah, this is a movie that would have required a lot of trust between the two of them because right. of how, um, how intimately it's shot. And I don't mean in terms of nudity or in terms of sex or anything like that. I mean, like... There's a lot There's of close-ups. A lot of close-ups. The camera's constantly orbiting people. Um, it's it's a really intimate, intimately shot movie. Yeah, and there's a lot of silences that it's mm -hmm. just it's just doing shots of characters or between characters. Um, and she does. I mean, obviously, she's able to convey a lot through her face and mm -hmm. her mannerisms. And I mean, I think it's. Just, I mean, it's such a brilliant and totally off-the-wall choice, and it works mm -hmm. so well. Yeah, you mentioned the, so the other lead in this movie, I, I was going to say arguably, but it is inarguable because of the char charisma of his performance, mm. is Ray Fiennes. And I know you think you've seen Ray Fiennes in a movie before. No. But he, and not only he, but no one ever has ever done a part like this. It's, so... Allie mentioned that this uh, this character, who is her ex boyfriend and her former manager as well, basically like has a hotshot producer, English yes. guy. He worked with the Stones. I'm sure he worked with our favorite Depeche Mode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he he gets off this plane and in perfect opposition to uh, Tilda's character, who can't speak. He does not stop talking mm -mm. from the beginning of this movie to the end of this movie. Like Correct. he is. He is so, he sucks all the air out of the room and just deprives every character around him of uh -huh. their voice. And it's such a potent metaphor, right? Yeah. Like, this is not a spoiler to say, it is very obvious if you watch the trailer, which I posted in a, in a promotional thing for this episode. Um, he's there to get her back, right? He's in love okay. with this woman, he can't get over it, and uh, he's there to get her back. And it is very telling that this guy who can't stop talking has chosen to target his prey in a, at a moment when she can't speak for herself right when she's right. literally unable to protest he's a captive audience mm -hmm. and yeah you're right he is ex almost exhausting to watch and it's so funny because as you know Rafe is one of my favorite actors and yes. I've been obsessed with him for a long time but usually he is so like he's such an elegant man and is always you know usually fairly contained and mm -hmm. proper in the roles that he's been in. But in this, he is just, <laughs> I mean, he's a crazy man. Like yeah. he's, he is so, um, gosh, there's one scene towards the end where um, Tilda's boyfriend calls him obscene. And I think that's honestly the perfect word. Yeah. So obscene is apt. Bad. He's, it's just everything turned up to 10, right? It is. Uh -huh. He's, he speaks a bit too loudly. He speaks way too much. He 
you know, his swimsuits are too short. If he even wears swimsuits, a lot of the time he just skinny dips. Yeah. Um, he he takes advantage, like he gets them to invite him and his daughter oh to gosh. stay at their house. And then of course he, he invites immediately invites people. two people. And, uh, and he's, he's he, so extra. He does this like extended monologue on how he produced this song on Vu Lauer's The Stones album. And like and then just this extended dance sequence around the pool like it's Mm -hmm. it's not like you've ever seen Rafe before and I just love his he just chooses so many interesting different roles um from you know Grand Budapest Hotel to Mm -hmm. you know English Patient which is my favorite movie to this to you know like playing Dickens in a in a period piece and obviously Voldemort is one that a lot of people know him from, but like he, he just got the range, baby. Mm-hmm. I, I never would have thought that he was capable of what he does in this movie. No. I, I wouldn't have thought anyone was. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been the only other person yeah. who could do it. It's that level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I love speaking of his character, Harry, the way that this movie constructs so much menace around him without mm-hmm. him doing anything menacing for the majority of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we should say that they're like any good thriller this is all about tightening screws tightening screws mm-hmm. you're putting four mm-hmm. people in a contained space and you're waiting until one of them explodes and without yeah. any spoilers there there are explosions and mm-hmm. uh they're shocking but what's so great is that it never feels out of place because from the second he comes on the scene total is, total atmosphere change it is, and it's, he's such a predator. He's consuming everything around him. There's this really, it is the best shot in the movie where the, it's, it's in the opening and uh, Tilda Swinton and her boyfriend, who we keep forgetting to say this, is played by Matthias Schoner, the, one of the most handsome men on the planet, he's, I think it's yeah. fair to say. <laughs> like, yeah. he's so sexy in this movie. He's and Belgian. Um, yeah, he's a Belgian actor. You, you've seen him in a few things. He was in The Danish Girl. Um, he was in the, Rust the and recent... Bone was his breakout oh, role, which yes. I hadn't seen, but um, would obviously be interested. Uh, quick tangent: Rust and Bone on its face is such an eye roll of a movie because it's about a. Um... I read the and was like. <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's about it's about an orca trainer who gets her legs bitten <laughs> off and falls in love with a nightclub bouncer, and you're like, okay, I roll right, but it's so good. Um, yeah, it's a really great movie. Um, but so that this shot that I'm talking about is the two of them laying on this beach, and they've finally mm-hmm. they've just made love, and they've been doing this really adorable pretty sexy thing where they're slathering each other with mud and mm-hmm. then they're just laying there and baking in the sun one of them's reading and then there's this really violent shattering of the silence with her iphone ringing the default iphone ringtone yeah. and it's the first real noise in the movie right and then you know she picks it up and she's like or he picks it up because she can't talk and right you can hear ray finds from a far distance through the phone <laughs> shouting blah 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 and he said harry's here and then this huge shadow of this plane just swoops mm. over them and it completely again consumes them. out the sun yeah. almost yeah and oh, it, it just from then sad. on it's like the the score the editing of the way the plane comes in and the way it's shot mm-hmm. um the the repetition of things like bite marks there's mm. predators like snakes invading the garden right no it's it's really it also, is almost oppressive his, his predatory presence two things there's also this overlay of the 
refugee crisis that was happening around the same time, which is another layer of sort of, un, you know, unease and just um, sort of feeling displacement. I don't know, we could go into that more, but then I also wanted to mention that the score, it really reminds me of like an old fashioned thriller. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there were so many, I don't know, they're like clarinets and. Yeah, it's uh, like a Hitchcock. Uh, yeah. What's his name? That brilliant guy who music, Bernard Herman. Mm. It is like a Bernard Herman score where it, it's these slow swells and then, uh, you know, you're just out of nowhere, this really sharp music comes in and then it just stops, which is kind of the postmodern application Plus, uh, of it like you know rock interwoven in between there's a great scene towards the end that after some certain things blow up one character Mm -hmm. reacts to this like great rock and roll song that's Mm -hmm. totally incongruous with their mood so it's yeah i love that and i i love how it's very on the nose but the metaphors in this movie are really potent right like we were talking about Harry as a predator, and there's this close-up that starts on his mouth while he's singing, or t- no, it's while he's talking, and then it zooms mm. out during his story, and it's such a potent image, again, of, like, consumption and destruction and all this stuff, and then there's also... And Rafe has very prominent um, canine teeth. Yeah, yeah. Just one, uh, you know, just a feature of him, which is sort of interesting that they would do that shot. Yeah, it, it really, le- again, it's a very... You would have had to have a lot of trust in your director to agree to mm-hmm. do some of the things that happen in this movie because it's not totally. it's not a flattering movie in a lot of ways. Oh no. <laughs> no, it's really not. Yeah. And and there's this this really potent another potent metaphor of saving her voice and not talking is a way of loyalty to Paul, her boyfriend, mm-hmm. talking and engaging with Harry and having all this fun and acting like a rock star again and you know, risking ruining her voice forever is symbolic of you know, going back to Harry and, you know, backtracking, backsliding, whatever you want to say. And I love how mm-hmm. on the nose, but effective it is. And the most, right. the most in your face moment of it is when Paul, the boyfriend is away and the two of them are doing karaoke together. It's mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> so reminded me of our karaoke experience. Um, we had an iconic karaoke moment years ago, um, singing Proud Mary. And that's what I imagine it was like in my mind. Um, but I, I don't think it was quite so um, raucous and definitely not. We we impressed far fewer people <laughs> at a Monday on a Monday people. night at six p.m. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but yeah, they're they're doing karaoke and it's this great moment where finally she he wears her down and she starts singing and you can hear the pain and the rasping in her voice but she's still doing it because she's so enthralled and then in the background of course is her boyfriend appears and is disappointed and it's it's oh it there are just layers on layers on layers of this movie it's so densely packed it's exactly the kind of movie i love right where (laughs) you can just slice off a cross section of it and just take a five minute section of this movie and the entirety of the movie will play out in that five minutes Mm -hmm. all the information you would need to read the entire thing is there. Right. And I feel like you can come back to it again and again mm-hmm. and pick up on different things that you didn't notice the first time or, you know, tie different themes together that you hadn't before. So this isn't a spoiler because the questionability of it is uh, in- introduced very early. 
do you think that Penny, who is played by the never worse Dakota Johnson, um, do you think that Penny is his daughter? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of went back and forth, and then I, I guess towards the end, I, I guess I felt like it didn't matter, almost. Yeah. I don't know. What is your take on that whole situation? It's very... It's a very interesting dynamic between the two of them, to say the least. Yeah, there's a really creepy scene at the karaoke bar where Aww. the where Ray Fiennes and Dakota Johnson, who again are supposed to be father and daughter, sing Unforgettable together. And it's so gross. Oh, oh that's it's so cringy. Horrendous. Um, yeah, and I I don't know either. The first half of this movie, and again, this was my second time viewing it, I was looking for information to disprove that it was his daughter because in mm. the ensuing time I remember that being one of the things I was wondering about but mm-hmm. then her reaction to yeah. events at the end of the movie is so convincing yeah. that it made me question but I think there is a very real chance that she is someone that he has convinced to go and be an obstacle for Marianne and Paul Oh, and I didn't of that. Yeah, it just that's that's something that stuck out to me of this idea of her being someone that he brought with him to be that kind of uh Yeah, to be like bait. a pawn. Yeah, yeah. To just sort of oh, that's so interesting. I never thought of that. See guys, this movie, there are so many things you can think about. It's ah. It's definitely not a movie for everyone, but I don't think that... I think you already know if this is a movie for you. And if it is a movie for you, we are not overselling it in the slightest. Nope. Nope. Um, The clothes... Let's talk about the clothes for a minute. Yes, please. They're so well done. I mean, a lot of times they're sort of lounging around in, in swimwear, but when they go to town, Tilda wears just the most beautiful things. One in particular, she's wearing this high-waisted white skirt and this black top that has a low kind of scoop back and it's just and these these sort of silver cat eye sunglasses and sandals and it's just so elegant and really perfectly proportioned and i don't know it's just sort of an interesting choice for a rock star on vacation you know you wouldn't necessarily think she would pick that but i think there's this other undercurrent not totally sure what it means, but it might be her mother's clothes that she um, has been wearing since her mother passed away in in recent years. Yes, Um, there's a really, and it it speaks to the vulnerability that that Harry is able to sniff out, right, when he arrives mm, there. Because one of the things that's happened is her mother has died, I believe, in the last year. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, she alternates wearing her clothes and her mother's clothes. Mm-hmm. And one of the other ones that I really love is that military jacket, but that it's also a dress. Mm, you know what I'm talking yeah. about with the epaulets in the pockets? Right, um, that's another yeah. really good and one. And it zips in the front. It's a great look. Dakota Johnson's clothes in this movie are fantastic. She has this great European, like, lounging out and about in the in the summer, you know, having a summer off college girl look, right? Yeah where she's got these really cool, unique-looking bikini tops and then various short shorts that that all are... Uh, I don't know. It's I like the composure of her outfits. And then what's really interesting is that Harry wears bold prints that are always different, mm-hmm. and Paul wears the exact same outfit every day, which is a, an admittedly very uh, kind of male, male skanky um, uh, 
kind of decomposing set of scoop neck t-shirts and then uh -huh. harry always wears bright print button downs and swimsuit trunks right right but i don't know i just justice for paul because oh yeah he i think he's just such a like solid character and i don't know i think you know they're living the low-key life mm. with and he can wear the same thing every day and and then everything gets sort of turned on its head yeah and i like that paul is he's a quote-unquote safe slash boring romantic choice done really well in that he mm -hmm. has a lot of complexity and he's not boring he's very interesting it's yeah. just that he <laughs> is completely introverted and all of his energy is is really low and directed either at tilda or at himself mm -hmm. right and then there's Harry a whole is interesting backstory yeah right go ahead go, please there's an tell interesting us paul backstory of like apparently he had attempted suicide in the last year and so like she tilda had been taking care of him and now he's taking care of her after the surgery so there's this sort of um you know loyalty or something like loyalty between and, the two of them and it's interesting again with going back to the very potent symbolism in this movie is he is very medicinal in the sense of mm. he is in recovery from alcoholism he symbolizes mm -hmm. recovery from the surgery for her and he's mm -hmm. literally giving her medicine in many points of the movie he's like take your pills take yeah. pills and harry mm -hmm. is literally the opposite where he's shoving alcohol he's shoving ecstasy yeah. all this other stuff at her it's it's just right. such a but good she, dichotomy which she kind of likes she's oh, so she tempted it. by it because yeah. it's i don't know i think she she has so much fun with harry and um she loves paul but it's not the same energy um between the two of them and it's in an it's not just choosing i think between men as much as it is choosing between looking back and looking forward right yeah the or two completely different lifestyles yeah because the camera is always not always but the camera is often set facing backwards like there will be a lot of car driving shots in this movie and the camera's set mm. on the front of the car looking at the two characters head on with the road behind them mm -hmm. um and marianne gets pulled into these flashbacks a lot of the time too yeah and then it'll immediately relate to something that happens. And I'm not usually a flashback guy. I have complained about them often and with great relish. But um, this this movie really makes them work because something so potent will happen 30 minutes later because of something that you saw that you didn't really didn't really get. And then it's fascinating to see this woman who you're introduced to as this kind of even the garden figure, right? Who's mm -hmm. being destroyed by temptation. And in the past, you see her as the full-on rock star who's doing cocaine and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, partying minutes before her show goes on and all this stuff. And it's it's right. so night and day. Right. Completely different. Um, and you get some nuance on her relationship with Harry, too, through these flashbacks. Um, you know, they really did and do love each other. Mm -hmm. And they're they both both the men connect completely to different parts of her i think it makes the the quote-unquote choice or more more accurately the dilemma it makes the dilemma very potent and feel very real mm -hmm. yeah 
I feel like for some reason, I feel like I was almost rooting for Harry the first time I watched it five years ago. And this time I was like completely team Paul. Yeah, I definitely liked him more the first time. I think because his behavior was so new, you know, whereas this time I remembered all the bad stuff too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because he is, he is, I don't know if charming is the right word, but he's very engaging. He demands your attention, right? Completely. It's, it's, you know, fun to watch, Mm. entertaining to watch, I would say. It's also interesting that this movie's named after the David Hockney painting, A Bigger Splash. Right. And, and they replicate the film, it many times. There was also a, yes. A oh, I didn't realize Hockney, there was a film. There's a Hockney documentary also from the 70s called A Bigger Splash. That's even more perfect then because it's replicating that Hockney visual, but also the Hockney lifestyle mm. of, you know, you and your lover having a rare intimate moment by the pool. Right. And and that can be your whole world until the outside world intrudes upon it. Correct. Even the even the pool has some Hockney-esque sort of mm-hmm. scribbles painted on the bottom, um, which you see in his famous, most famous work, which is, um, you know, a pool with two figures mm-hmm. of those double porches from the early 70s. And I love how many times this movie replicates uh, both of those paintings. The mm-hmm. two pool with two figures is the opening or not the opening because the opening is a concert but it's several <laughs> scenes between tilda and um and paul mm-hmm. is i i think is a really potent callback to that and yeah. of course it being a 70s documentary and when did hockney paint was he in the 60s uh, well 60s through today but yeah i think yeah, his yeah. most or sorry most his iconic his, period yeah. would have been late 60s through mid 70s so it's interesting that that's the exact musical period that Harry is known for. Mm, and mm-hmm. the uh, the filmmaking style of this movie is very, again, 70s yeah, European erotic cinema. Yeah. yeah. Right. And even the music, like we talked about, felt very sort of old school thriller. Um, mixed with some rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't recommend this movie enough. I, I think if we cover it anymore, we'll just run it into the ground. See this movie, <laughs> rent it. It is worth the $4. If you watch it and you hate it, uh, well, I was going to say I'll Venmo you, but I'll I'll work on it. <laughs> um, I'll pay for you to go to therapy because <laughs> yeah, I'll buy you a session. I don't know who hurt you, but listen, <laughs> this movie is nothing but, oh, it's just so fabulous. Mm-hmm. Fabulous is the perfect word. The clothes, yeah. the home, the setting, the acting, the cast. Cast. So well done. Uh, before we go, Allie, are you reading, watching? Uh, have you seen anything good recently? What are you, what are you up to these days? Um, so I'm reading this book that's really interesting. It's um, a biography on Madame Claude, who was the premier madame in Paris. Um, in the 60s and 70s um, and even beyond who you know served the most powerful men and glamorous men in the world including like JFK, Gianni Agnelli, the Shah of Iran, um, Pompidou, um, Porfirio Ruby Rosa, um, you know wow all of those international playboy types um, were 
part of her or orbit, you know, Rothschilds, actors, musicians, everyone knew Madame Claude and what her girls were famous for being extremely elegant and cultured and educated. And they were sort of like almost that aspirational girl that you couldn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just sold sort of the whole package like this, um, yeah, aspirational fantasy. Um, and all of, a lot of her girls, you know, married really well, um, or went on to, you know, they made a killing and so were able to, um, you know, be really set up to do well in business beyond that. Um, and apparently, I mean, there, it doesn't really name names, but some, you know, it intimates that some of these women, you know, we would know the names today. Um, Ooh, it even okay. intimates that like some of, you know, the really popular French actresses of the time may have moonlighted for Madame Claude. Um, and it, so the book is called Madame Claude, Her Secret World of Ple- Pleasure, Privilege, and Power by William Stadium, S-T-A-D-I-E-M. Awesome. I will have to check it out because that sounds right up my alley. I know, you would love it. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am reading a fabulous novel called Circe by Madeline Miller. <gasps> I have it. Oh, it is really very good. It. it is very I love good. Greek, ancient Greek things. It's a, it's a retelling of Circe's myth from birth to Odysseus, basically. And mm-hmm. um, I'm almost finished with it. And it is not as good as her previous book to me. Song of Achilles, which, but that's also, also right up my alley, like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm playing, speaking of Greek mythology, a really wonderful video game called Hades, where you play as the son of Hades, and <laughs> the Olympians have been talking to you in secret and are like, you need to come up here, like, you don't belong down there, it sucks. And so you go to different dungeons that are randomly generated, and you try to get as far as you can each time with the aid of different Olympians until you eventually escape. And it's really fun. I recommend that. Hades. That's fun. Yeah. I do have one thing I want to recommend. Um, so since I'm, none of us are really doing any traveling to speak of at the moment, um, this company that does really interesting travel-focused um, you know, like little travel groups and day trips and tours and things like that called Context Travel. Um, They're doing these really great little seminars. Um, There's almost one every single day. Wow. And I did one on Medici Villas a couple (laughs) of which is fabulous. They're only $36. Um, And there's one that I want to do on the Fabergé. there's one on like the gardens of Versailles. There's one on like Scottish castles. Um, uh, there's just so many different, uh, really interesting courses that I'm really into. Oh, architecture of Venice, um, Cold wow. War Berlin, Buenos Aires architectural tour. There's whatever, you know, they got it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing one of these this weekend because I need to get out, and that sounds like a great way to do it. Yeah. Context travel. Yeah. Okay, we have a couple of announcements before we sign off. Um, The first is next week's episode. I'm going to be talking about uh, two of David Fincher's thrillers because we're in October now. It's a spooky time, Mm -hmm. and I don't really like traditional horror movies, not because I have particularly discerning taste, but because I am a notorious wimp. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I will cover my eyes. I will whimper. All of it. I, I hate them. <laughs> um, so we're doing scary movies that I like because this is my podcast. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're going to be talking about <laughs> we're going to be talking about Gone Girl, and we're going to be talking about Girl mm. with the Dragon Tattoo. <gasps> um, love. Yes. Cannot wait. I love uh, that movie. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. It's my favorite of his, and I can't wait to talk about it and rewatch it. So that's coming next week. The other thing is, I think if you didn't see the debate on Tuesday night, you heard about it. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I was just so beyond horrified. And I would like to announce a fundraising effort called mm. Cats for a Cause. <laughs> if we reach the fundraising goal that I'm going to post on social media channels, of donations to Biden Harris, then I will watch the movie Cats and I will I will do an episode on it. Uh, so yeah, look for look for that contribution uh, opportunity, and we'll do a let's say the month of October, and if we have uh, enough of if we hit the goal, which I haven't decided yet then I will watch Cats. <laughs> um, but I will post it. It won't be a secret goal. I'm not okay. going to pull the rug out from under everyone. Um, but yeah, hashtag Cats for a Cause. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And yeah. Allie, thank you for being here. Of course. i always delighted to talk about any of the following topics. Rape Vines, Tilda Swinton, Outfits, Italy, Tension, all of the above. Villas. Villas. Yes, this is a Tilda Forward podcast, and it will always be a safe space for Tilda Swinton fans, and I just want you to know that. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. Okay, thanks.